The Legacy, Chapter 3, Parley. The eighth king of Mithril Hall, leading his four friends and two hundred dwarf soldiers, was more appropriately arrayed for battle than for parley. Brunner wore his battered one-horned helmet, the other horn having long ago been broken away, and a fine suit of mithril armor, vertical lines of the silvery metal running the length of his stout torso and glittering in the torchlight. His shield bore the foaming mug standard of clan battlehammer in solid gold, and his customary axe, showing the nicks of a thousand battle kills, and a fair number of them goblins, was ready in a loop of his belt within easy reach. Wolfgar, in a suit of natural hide, a wolf's head set in front of his great chest, walked behind the dwarf, with Aegis Fang, his warhammer, angled out across the crook of his elbow in front of him. Caterbury, Talmeril over her shoulder, walked beside him, but the two said little, and the tension between them was obvious. Drizzt flanked the dwarf king on his right, Regis scampering to keep up beside him, and Gwenhyver, the sleek, proud panther, muscles rippling with every stride, moved to the right of the two, darting off into the shadows whenever the low and uneven corridor widened. Many of the dwarves marching behind the five friends carried torches, and the flickering lights created monster-like shadows, keeping the companions on their guard, not that they were likely to be surprised marching beside Drizzt and Gwenhyver. The dark elf's black panther companion was all too adept at leading the way. And nothing would care to surprise this group. The whole of the force was bedecked for battle with great sturdy helms and armor and fine weapons. Every one of the dwarves carried a hammer or axe for distant shots, and another nasty weapon in case any enemies got in close. Four dwarves in a line near the middle of the contingent supported a great wooden beam across their stocky shoulders. Others near them carried huge, circular slabs of stone with the centers cut out. Heavy rope, long-notched poles, chains, and sheets of pliable metal all were evident among this section of the brigade as the tools for a goblin toy, as Brunner had explained to his non-dwarven companions' curious expressions. In looking at the heavy pieces, Driz could well imagine how much fun the goblins would get from this particular contraption. At an intersection where a wide passage ran to their right, they found a pile of giant bones with two great skulls sitting atop it, each of them large enough for the halfling to crawl completely into. Etten, Bruner explained, for it was he, as a beardless lad, who had felled the monsters. At the next intersection, they met up with General Dagna and the lead force, another three hundred battle-hardened dwarves. Parley set, Dagna explained. Goblins down a thousand feet in a wide chamber. You'll be flanking, Brunner asked him. Aye, but so are the goblins, the commander explained. Four hundred of the things if there's a one. I sent Cobble and his three hundred on a wide course around the backside of the room to cut off any escape. Brunner nodded. The worst that they could expect was roughly even odds and Brunner would put any one of his dwarves against five of the goblin scum. "'I'm going straight in with a hundred, the dwarf king explained. "'Another hundred going to the right with the toy, and what's left for yourself. Don't you let me down if I'm needing you.' Dagna's chuckle reflected supreme confidence, but then his expression turned abruptly grave. "'Should it be yourself doing the talking?' he asked Brunner. I'm not for trusting goblins. Oh, they've got a trick for me or I'm a bearded gnome, 
Bruno replied. But this goblin crew ain't seen the likes of dwarves in hundreds of years, unless I miss me guess, and they're sure to think they're less of us than they should. They exchanged a heavy handshake, and Dagna stormed off, the hard boots of his three hundred soldiers echoing through the corridors like the rumbling of a gathering thunderstorm. Stealth was never a dwarven strongpoint, Drizzt remarked dryly. Regis let his stare linger for many moments on the departing host's crack formations, then turned the other way to regard the other group bearing the beam, stone discs, and other items. If you've not got the belly for it, Bruner began, interpreting the halfling's interest as fear. I am here, aren't I? Regis came back sharply, rudely actually, and the uncustomary edge to his voice made his friends regard him curiously. But then, in a peculiarly Regis-like movement, the halfling straightened his belt under his prominent paunch, squared his shoulders, and looked away. The others managed to laugh at Regis's expense, but Drizzt continued to stare at him curiously. Regis was indeed here, but why had he come? The drow did not know. To say that Regis was not fond of battle was as much as an understatement as to say that the halfling was not fond of missing meals. A few minutes later, the hundred soldiers remaining behind their king entered the appointed chamber, coming in through a large archway onto a raised section of stone, several feet up from the wide floor of the huge main area, wherein stood the goblin host. Drizzt noted with more than passing curiosity that this particular raised section held no stalagmite mounds, which seemed to be common throughout the rest of the chamber. Many stalactites leered down from the not-too-high ceiling above Drizzt's head. Why hadn't their drippings left the commonplace stone mounds? Drizzt and Gwenhyber moved to one side, out of the range of the torches, which the drow, with his exceptional vision, did not need. Slipping into the shadows of a grouping of low-hanging stalactites, the two seemed to disappear. So did Regis, not far behind Drizzt. "'Gave up the high ground afore we even started,' Bruner whispered to Wolfgar and Caterbury. "'You'd think even the goblins be smarter than that.' That notion gave the dwarf pause, and he glanced around to the edges of the raised section, taking note that this slab of stone had been worked, worked with tools, to fit this section of the cavern. His dark eyes narrowed with suspicion as Bruner looked to the area where Drizzt had disappeared. "'I'm thinking that it's a good thing we're up high for the parlay,' Bruner said too loudly. Drizzt understood. "'The whole section is trapped,' Regis right behind the drow, remarked. Drizzt nearly jumped, amazed that the halfling had gotten so close to him and wondered what magical item Regis carried to make his movements so silent. Following the halfling's leading gaze, Drizzt regarded the nearest edge of the platform and a pillar half out from under the stone, a slender stalagmite that had recently been decapitated. A good hit would bring it down, Regis reasoned. Stay here. Drizzt instructed, agreeing with the crafty halfling's estimate. Perhaps the goblins had spent some time in preparing this battlefield. Drizzt moved out into view of the dwarves, gave Bruner some signals to indicate that he would check it out, then slipped away, Gwenhyver moving parallel to him, not far to the side. All the dwarves had entered the chamber by then, with Bruner cautiously keeping them back, lined end to end against the back edge of the semicircular platform. Bruner, with Wolfgar and Cattery flanking him, came out a few steps to regard the goblin host. There were well over a hundred, maybe two hundred, of the smelly things in the darker area of the chamber, 
judging from the many sets of red, shining eyes staring back at the dwarf. We came to talk, Bruner called out in the guttural goblin tongue. As agreed. Talk, came a goblin reply, surprisingly in the common tongue. What will dwarves offer to Garyak and his thousands? Thousands, Wolfgar remarked. Goblins cannot count beyond their own fingers, Caterby reminded him. Get on your toes, Bruner whispered to them both. This group's looking for a fight. I can smell it. Wolfgar gave Caterby a positively superior look, but his juvenile bluster was lost, for the young woman was paying him no heed. Drizzt slipped from shadow to shadow, around boulders, and finally over the lip of the raised platform. As he and Regis had expected, this section, supported along its front end by several shortened stalagmite pillars, was not a solid piece, but a worked slab propped in place. And, as expected, the goblins planned to drop the front end of the platform and spill the dwarves. Great iron wedges had been driven partway through the front supporting line of pillars, waiting for a hammer to drive them through. It was no goblin poised underneath the stone to spring the trap, however, but another two-headed giant, an Etten. Even laying flat, it was nearly as tall as Drizzt. He guessed it would tower at least twelve feet high if it ever got up straight. Its arms, as thick as the drow's chest, were bare. It held a great spiked club in each hand, and its two huge heads stared at each other, apparently holding a conversation. Driz didn't know whether the goblins intended an honest parley, dropping the stone slab only if the dwarves made move to attack, but with the appearance of the dangerous giant, he wasn't willing to take any chances. Using the cover of the farthest pillar, he rolled onto the lip and disappeared into the blackness behind and to the side of the waiting giant. When a cat's green eye stared back at Driz from across the breadth of the prone giant, he knew that Gwenhyver too had moved silently into position. A torch went up among the goblin ranks, and three of the four-foot-tall, yellow-skinned creatures ambled forward. "'Well?' Bruner grumbled, already tiring of this meeting. "'Which one of your dogs is Garyak?' "'Garyak back with the others,' the tallest of the group answered, looking over his sloping shoulder to the main host. "'A sure sign that there's to be trouble,' Caterbury muttered, unobtrusively slipping her great bow from her shoulder. When the leader's safely back, the goblins mean to fight. Go tell your Gariak that we don't have to kill ya, Bruner said firmly. Me name's Bruner Battlehammer. Battlehammer? The goblin spat, apparently recognizing the name. Yous is King Dwarf. Bruner's lips did not move as he mumbled to his companions, Be ready. Caterbury's hand came to rest on the quiver at her side. Bruner nodded. King! The goblin hooted, looking back at the monster host and pointing excitedly Bruner's way. The ready dwarves understood the cue for the onslaught faster than the stupid goblins, and the next calls from the chamber were dwarven battle cries. Drizzt took the call to action faster than the dim-witted Etten. The creature swung its clubs back, then yelped in pain and surprise as the 600-pound panther clamped onto one wrist and a wickedly-edged scimitar dove into its armpit on the other side. The monster's huge heads turned outward in a weird, synchronous movement, one to regard Drizzt, one toward Gwenhyver. 
Before the Eden even knew what was happening, Drizzt's second scimitar slashed across its bulging eyes. The giant tried to squirm about to get to the stinging elf, but the agile Drizzt slipped under its arm and came in hard and fast at the monster's vulnerable heads. Across the way, Gwenhyber dug teeth into flesh and set claws into stone, holding fast the monster's arm. Drizzt got him! Brunner reasoned when the floor bucked beneath him. With the failure of a simple, if not clever, trap, the goblins had indeed surrendered their favorable high ground. The stupid creatures hooted and whooped and came on anyway, launching crude spears, most of which never reached their targets. More effective was the dwarven response. Caterbury led it, putting the heartseeker up in an instant and loosing a magical, silver-shafted arrow that seemed to trail lightning in its deadly flight. It blasted a clean, smoking hole through one goblin, did likewise to a second farther back, and drove into the chest of a third. All three dropped to the floor. A hundred dwarves roared and charged forward, heaving axes and warhammers into the charging goblin throng. Caterbury fired again, and then again, and with just three shots, her kill count was up to eight. Now it was her turn to give Wolfgar a superior stare, and the barbarian, humbled, promptly looked away. The floor bucked wildly. Brunner heard the roars of the wounded giant beneath them. Down! The dwarf king commanded above the sudden roar of battle. The ferocious dwarves needed little encouragement, for the leading goblins were close to the platform by then. Out came living dwarven missiles, crushing into the goblin ranks, flailing away with fists and boots and weapons before they even stopped bouncing. A supporting pillar cracked in half as the Eden inadvertently struck it, trying to bring its club around to get Drizzt. Down came the platform, pinning the stupid beast. Drizzt, crouched safely below the level of the giant's girth, could not believe how badly the goblins and the Eden had thought out their plan. How did you ever mean to get out of here? He asked, though of course, the Eden could not understand him. Drizzt shook his head, almost in pity, then his scimitars went to work on the monster's face and throat. A moment later, Gwenhyber sprang onto the other head, claws raking deep gouges. In mere seconds, the ranger and his feline companion sprinted out from under the low-riding platform, their business finished. Knowing that his unique talents could be better used in other ways, Drizzt avoided the wild melee of battle and moved to the side along the cavern wall. A dozen corridors led into this main chamber he could see, and goblins were pouring in through nearly every one. Of more concern were the unexpected allies of the goblin forces, though, for, to Driz's surprise, he noticed several more gigantic Ettons standing still and quiet behind stalagmites, waiting for the moment when they might join the fray. Canterbury, still on the platform and firing into the goblin horde, was the first to spot Drizzt halfway up a stalagmite mound to the left-hand side of the cavern and motioning back for her and Wolfgar. A goblin came out of the fighting mass and charged the young woman, but Wolfgar stepped in front of her and wailed on it with his great hammer, sending it flying a dozen feet over the edge. The barbarian spun about as fast as he could, trying to ready a defense, for another goblin had come up to the side, closing with a spear point leading the way. It nearly got the spear in for a strike, but its head exploded under the impact of a silver streaking arrow. Drizzt is needing us,' Caterbury explained, and she led the barbarian to their left along the tilting platform, Wolfgar running along the edge and pounding any goblins that tried to scramble up. 
When they were clear of the main fighting, Drizzt motioned for Caterbury to hold her position and for Wolfgar to come forward cautiously. He has found some giants, Regis, hidden below the pair, explained to them. Behind those mounds! Drizzt leaped down around the stalagmite, then came diving back out, turning defensive somersaults with an Eden in close pursuit, twin clubs ready to squash the drow. The giant jerked upright when Caterbury's arrow thudded into its chest, scorching the filthy animal hide at war. A second arrow knocked it off balance, then Wolfgar's hurled hammer flying to the barbarian's resounding cries of Tempus blasted the creature away. Quenhyver, still on the side of the mound, leaped atop the second Eden as it came barreling out, muscled claws raking viciously, blinding both the monster's heads until Drizzt got in close enough to put his scimitars to work. The next giant came around the other side of the mound, but Caterbury was ready for it, and arrow after arrow slammed it, spun it around, and finally dropped it dead to the ground. Wolfgar charged forward, catching his magical warhammer back in his grasp. Drizzt had finished with the giant by the time the barbarian caught up to him, and the dark elf joined his friend as they met the next of the charging monsters side by side. Like old times, Drizzt remarked. He didn't wait for an answer, but dove into a roll in front of Wolfgar. Both of them winced, blinded for an instant, as Caterbury's next arrow sliced between them, slamming into the nearest giant's belly. She did that to make a point, you know. Drizzt remarked, and he didn't wait for an answer, but dove into a roll in front of Wolfgar. Understanding Drizzt's diversionary tactics, the barbarian heaved Aegis Fang right over the rolling form, and the Eden, stooping for a hit at Drizzt, caught the warhammer squarely on the side of one head. The other head remained alive, but dazed and disoriented for a split second it took to take control of the entire body. A split second was far too long when dealing with Drizzt to Arden. The agile drow came up in a leap, easily avoiding a lumbering swing, and sent his scimitars in a crossing swipe that drew two parallel lines along the giant's throat. The Eden dropped both of its clubs and clutched at the mortal wound. An arrow blew it to the ground. Two more Ettons remained behind the mound, but they, all four heads, had seen quite enough of the fighting companions. Out a side tunnel, the beasts went, right into Dagna's rambling force. One wounded Eden stumbled back into the main chamber, a dozen hurled hammers bouncing off its stooped back for every lumbering step it took. Before Drizzt, Wolfgar, or even Caterbury with her bow, could make a move at the beast, a multitude of dwarves rushed out of the tunnel and leaped upon it, bored to the ground, and hacked and pounded away with battle-crazed abandon. Drizzt looked at Wolfgar and shrugged. "'Fear not, my friend,' the barbarian replied, smiling." There are many more enemies to hit. With another bellow to his battle god, Wolfgar turned about and charged for the main fight, trying to pick out Brunner's one-horned helmet amidst a writhing sea of tangled goblins and dwarves. Driz didn't follow, though, for he preferred single combat to the wildness of a general melee. Calling Gwenhyber to his side, the drow made his way along the wall, eventually exiting the main chamber. After only a few steps and a warning growl from his trusted panther ally, he came to realize that Regis wasn't far behind. Brunner's estimates of the dwarven prowess seemed on target as the battle soon became a rout. In trading hits with the armored dwarves, the goblins found their crude swords and puny clubs to be no match against the tempered weapons of their enemies. Brunner's people, too, were better trained, holding tight formations and keeping their nerves, which was difficult amidst all the chaos and cries of dying. 
Goblins fled by the dozen, most finding the line of Dagna and his charges eagerly waiting to kill them. With all the confusion, Caterbury had to pick her shots carefully, particularly since she couldn't be certain that a skinny goblin torso would stop her flying arrows. Mostly, the young woman concentrated on those goblins breaking ranks, fleeing into the open ground between the main fight and Dagna's line. For all her talk of parley and all the accusations she had leveled at Brunner and the others, the young woman could not deny the tingle, the adrenaline rush that swept over her every time she lifted Talmoreau, the heartseeker. Wolfgar's eyes, too, gleamed with a luster that indicated the fine edge of survival. Raised among a warlike people, he had learned the battle lust at an early age, a rage that had been tempered only when Brunner and Drizzt had taught him the worth of his perceived enemies and the many sorrows his tribe's wars had caused. There was no guilt in this fight, though, not against evil goblins, and Wolfgar's charge from the dead Ettons to the larger battle was accompanied by a hearty song to Tempus. Wolfgar found no target clear enough for him to chance a throw with the hammer, but he was not dismayed, particularly when a group of several goblins broke clear of the fighting and fled his way. The leading three hardly realized that the barbarian was there when Wolfgar's first sidelong cut with Aegis Fang swept them aside, killing two. The goblins behind stumbled in surprise, but came on anyway, flowing around the barbarian like a river around a rock. A goblin had exploded under Aegis Fang's next heavy blow. Wolfgar snapped the hammer across one-handed to deflect the sword, then followed with a punching left hook that shattered his would-be attacker's jaw and sent the creature flying. The barbarian felt a sting in his side, and he flinched before the sword could dig in deeply. His free hand whipped back across, clamping atop his attacker's head and lifting the squirming creature from the ground. It still had its sword, and Wolfgar realized that he was vulnerable. He found his only possible defense in sheer savagery, jerking the lifted goblin back and forth so violently that the creature could not get its bearings for a strike. Wolfgar spun around to drive his many attackers back, using his momentum to aid in his one-handed hammer swipe. An advancing goblin tried to backtrack and lifted its arm in a pitiful defense, but the warhammer blasted through the skinny limb and crushed on, knocking the creature's head so powerfully that when the goblin fell to the ground, it landed on its back. Its face, too, was squarely against the stone. The stubborn, stupid goblin in the air nicked Wolfgar's huge biceps. The barbarian brought the creature down hard, squeezing and twisted, and heard the satisfying crack of neckbone. Seeing the coming charge from the corner of his eye, he hurled the dead thing at its companions, scattering them. "'Tempus!' the barbarian roared. He took up his warhammer in both hands and rushed into the bulk of the surrounding group, whipping Aegis Fang back and forth repeatedly. Any goblin that could not flee that furious charge, could not get out of the deadly range, found a piece of its body utterly destroyed. Wolfgar pivoted and came back at the group he knew was behind him. The goblins had indeed begun in advance, but when the mighty warrior spun about, his face contorted in wild-eyed frenzy, the goblins turned about and ran away. Wolfgar heaved his hammer, crushing one, then pivoted again and rushed back the other way to the other group. These two fled, apparently not caring that the wild human was unarmed. Wolfgar caught one of them by the elbow, spun it about to face him, and clamped his other hand over its face, bending it over backwards to the ground. Aegis Fang reappeared in his hand, and the barbarian's fury doubled. Brunner had to plant a boot solidly to free his many-notched axe from the chest of his latest victim. 
When the blade pulled free, a burst of blood followed it, showering the dwarf. Brunner didn't care. Sure in that the goblins were evil things, that the results of his savage attacks bettered the world. Smiling with abandon, the dwarf king darted this way and that in a tight press, finally finding another target. The goblin swung first, its club smashing apart when it connected with Brunner's fine shield. The stupid goblin stared at its broken weapon in disbelief, then looked at the dwarf just in time to see the axe dive between its eyes. A flash cut right by the dwarf, frightening the pleasure from him. He realized it was Caterbury's doing, though, and saw the victim a dozen feet away, pinned to the stone floor by the quivering silver-shafted arrow. "'Damn good bow!' the dwarf muttered, and in looking back to his daughter, he noticed a goblin scrambling up onto the platform. "'No, you don't!' the dwarf cried, rushing to the slab and diving into a roll atop it. He came up beside the creature, ready to exchange blows, when another flash forced him to jump back. The goblin still stood, looking down to its chest as though it expected to find an arrow sticking there. It found a hole instead right through both lungs. The goblin poked a finger in, in a ridiculous attempt to stem the flow of blood. Then it fell dead. Brunner planted his hands on his hips and stared hard at his daughter. "'Hey, girl!' he scolded. You're stealing all me fun. Caterbury's fingers began to pull on her bowstring, but she relaxed it immediately. Brunner considered the woman's curious action, then understood as a goblin club connected heavily with the back of his head. I left that one for yourself, Caterbury said with a shrug, a lame movement when weighted against the glower of Brunner's dark eyes. Brunner wasn't listening. He threw his shield up, blocking the next predictable attack, and whirled his axe leading the way. The goblin sucked in its belly and hopped back to its tiptoes. Not far enough, the dwarf told it, politely using its own tongue, and his words were proven true as the goblin's guts spilled out. The horrified creature regarded them in disbelief. You shouldn't be hitting me when I'm not looking was all the apology it would get from Brunner Battlehammer, and his second swipe, angled at the goblin's neck, took the creature's head from its shoulders. With the platform clear of enemies, both Brunner and Caterbury turned to regard the general battle. Caterbury brought her bow up, but then didn't see the point of releasing any more arrows. Most of the goblins were in flight, but with Dagna's troops lined across the chamber, they had nowhere to go. Brunner leapt down and put his forces into an organized pursuit, and like a great snapping maw, the dwarven host closed over the goblin horde.